Hello and welcome to our resurrection service where we get to come together and celebrate the victorious rising of our king because he is risen. El vive. My name is Pastor Matthew. Y mi nombre es Josie. And it is our pleasure to welcome you here to celebrate with us today. And we're going to begin by reading from the Gospel of John in chapter 11. These are the words of Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I hope that everyone celebrating with us today can answer with a resounding amen, yes. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus, that you love us so much that you sent him to die in our place, that he overcame sin and death and rose to life so that all who believe, who put our faith and trust and confidence in him may live. Jesus, you are our life giver, and we seek to celebrate you this morning, to worship you, to bless your name. So, Father, we pray that we would be able to push aside distraction as we focus on your Son. And I pray that you would receive our worship, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Josie? Bienvenidos. Le damos una cordial bienvenida a este hermoso servicio de resurrección. Qué lindo, qué bueno. Mira cuán bueno y cuán hermoso es habitar los hermanos juntos y en armonía. Aunque no estamos aquí presente, sí estamos donde quiera que ustedes se encuentren. Muchas gracias. Bienvenido a esta su iglesia. Hermoso porque Cristo vive, nosotros también vivimos. Y dice la palabra en Juan 11, 25, yo soy la resurrección y la vida. Así es que el único que nació, subió al cielo y resucitó y está a la diestra del Padre es Jesucristo. Gracias una vez más. Bienvenido. Y recuerden, somos la iglesia que ama, crece y sirve a los demás. En este momento vamos a orar. Así que donde quiera que usted se encuentre, incline su cabeza y vamos a orar. Oremos. Padre Santo, Padre bueno, gracias te damos, Señor, porque tú eres bueno. Gracias a Dios porque tú eres Dios Gracias Señor porque un día tú fuiste a la cruz del Calvario Padre Y resucitaste y nos diste vida Padre Celestial Y porque tú vives nosotros también vivimos Señor Jesús Padre Santo este servicio lo ponemos en tus manos Señor Que llegue hacia nosotros Padre Que llegue Padre hasta lo más profundo Te alabamos, te bendecimos, te glorificamos y estamos aquí celebrándote a ti, Padre, porque tú vives, Señor. Gracias, Padre, porque tú resucitaste. Gracias, Señor. Amen. Let's worship together, church. Hello, Cornerstone, and welcome to our Easter celebration. Our God has risen from the grave, and we are so glad to be able to worship with you. Even though we can't be in person, we still have this ability to worship online together. I'm just going to read a couple of pieces of scripture to kind of bring us into our worship today. Because our theme for this service is that Jesus is our life giver. So let's read some scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 says, 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 also says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring Jesus, with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. And finally, 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's worship him because our Savior lives.
chance to say, Jesus, you are the only way. My Savior, my Savior lives. I know that my Redeemer lives, and now I stand on what He did. My Savior, my Savior lives. Every day a brand new chance to say,
This next song, Cornerstone, we've been doing this song at Cornerstone for quite a while. And this song has just been kind of just sweeping the whole world. It talks about Jesus being a way maker, a miracle worker, amen, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. Who he is. Somebody say Amen. Let's lift our hands. It's all right to lift our hands. He's an awesome guy.
My first memory was of my parents fighting. The first thing I remember from my childhood is um, a specific fight that my parents were having. I remember crying and being in my mom's arms. Um, they divorced a few years later. My stepmom, I stayed with her as long as I could, but eventually my dad made me move home. And then she was out of my life and I was essentially on my own, living with friends, living in cars. Through my 20s, I was in a pit of fire. I was just on fire to take everything back from life that had been taken from me. And I did that at the expense of anyone who got near me. I had learned how to take care of myself. I had learned how to manipulate people and situations for my gain. My purpose in life at that time was absolutely self-centered and self-driven. The pain and the anger from my past, they could only be numbed down. Alcohol is a way to self-medicate. I woke up face down on a cold ceramic tile floor. That's the moment that God brought me down from my high to rock bottom. I woke up so sick that morning, I can't even describe in words what it felt like. I went to bed perfectly fine, and I woke up with 105 fever, shaking, um, barely able to control my body. So I spent a week and a half to two weeks with 105 fever. I was diagnosed with Lyme disease and a doctor looked me in the eye and said, you can change your lifestyle or you're going to die. I can't explain what changed other than looking back now. I just believe it was God's divine intervention, even though I wasn't ready to acknowledge him at that point. I had no desire to drink. I would light a cigarette and throw it out the window. I had no desire to be in the places that I used to find comfort. I had no desire to be around people that I had enjoyed taking advantage of before. He placed pillars of his people around me and he built my foundation on them. Previous to that moment, I several times had told my best friend I could not go to church with her because if I walked into that church, I would surely catch on fire. And I came to church with her. I came with her family. And I came with the man who's now my husband. When I walked into church on Christmas Eve, I felt peace. And I realized that by accepting Jesus into my heart and acknowledging that he lived and died for us and for no other reason, that I too could be redeemed from a torrid sinful past. He has given me life. 
where there was no life. Wow, church, wasn't that amazing worship? Thank you, worship team, for ministering to us. And that video, a life being changed by the resurrected power of Jesus Christ is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. I'm Pastor Tim Van Sumren. And just before Pastor Tim Ackley comes to share the message this morning, I want to lead you in a song. This song, written by the Gaithers, has been one that has changed lives over the years, millions of lives, with the hope that the resurrected Jesus gives to us. If you know the song, sing along with me. I know you'll know the chorus. Let's sing together. His son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive, he bled and died.
Hello, church. It is my privilege to preach on one of the most favored weekends of the year to bring the Word of God to you. I am so excited about talking about Jesus. And uh, I have to do it in 30 minutes, maybe even a little bit less, so we'll see how that goes. But I am excited to bring to you the Word of God, and we're going to be focusing on Jesus, the life giver. And I want to invite you, even right now, to get your Bibles out. So I have the suspicion that some, being at home, you're, you're kind of relaxed, you know Pastor Tim can't see you, that would be me, Pastor Tim Ackley. So you're kind of relaxed, you don't have that Bible out, you know he's not going to say anything to you. Listen, I think the Lord gives me some sort of uncanny, supernatural awareness to know if you do not have your Bible open So please get your Bible open. John chapter 5, we're going to really look at verse 24. I'll bring in some extra scripture. You do not need to be flying through the Bible unless you want to, but John chapter 24. And while all of you get your Bibles out, even your children, and you turn to the New Testament, four Gospels in, to the book of John, and while you're opening it up to chapter 5, verse 24, let me take you back 2,000 years ago. There was an eight-day festival called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it began with a celebration for the Jewish people of the Passover. Now, I've taken you back to Jerusalem now, or about 2,000 years ago. They are celebrating that God passed over Israel, sparing their firstborn sons as they were slaves in Egypt. And then after the day of Passover began seven more days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that was the celebration that God redeemed them out of Egypt, rescued them out of slavery. He had set them apart to be his holy people. Unleavened bread was the sign of holiness. But did you know that in that eight-day festival, there was actually a third Jewish feast? It was called the Feast of First Fruits. For southern Israel, Judea area, the new day actually started, and this is interesting because that's, our day starts at midnight, and then spans to the following midnight. But for southern Israel, their day started when the sun went down, when the first three stars appeared in the night sky. So I want to take you to Saturday evening. Jesus had died on the cross on Friday at 3 p.m. I want you to now go to Saturday evening. Jesus has laid in the grave And out of the temple at Jerusalem come three priests, and they're carrying a lamp, a basket, a sickle. And they're walking east down into the Kidron Valley. They cross the Kidron Brook. They go over to a golden-hued field called the Ashes Valley. It's along the Mount of Olives Ridge. It's Saturday evening, they've gone over there, a crowd of people from Jerusalem went along with them. You see, the barley seed in that field had been planted before the winter came. And that seed went down into the soil where it laid dead for the winter. 
But then their rainy season came, and their rainy season is in January and February. And that rain brought the seeds to life. It split their shells, and shoots of barley broke through the soil, broke through the dirt. And just before the Passover, it had matured into a field of grain. And the grain in that field was cut all except for a few areas in that field, a few patches that they left the grain standing, but they tied it together with a piece of cloth. The priests, with a crowd celebrating along with them, reached those sheaves of grain in the Ashes Valley, and they began, the priests did, shouting five questions. Has the sun set? With this sickle, into this basket, on this Sabbath, shall I reap now. And each time the crowd shouts enthusiastically, yes. And then the priests cut down the tied sheaves with the the sickle. And they gathered the stalks in their basket and took them back to the temple where they began on that Saturday evening beating the grain with a rod, separating the kernel from the chaff. They took those kernels and they put them into a pan and then they roasted them lightly. It was called parching the grain, just enough to dry the kernels. And when they cooled, they crushed them. And they sifted the grain kernels and they did it over and over until the hand of a priest could plunge into the basket of the flour and come out with none of it sticking to his hands. Then they went home and all the people went to sleep. And early the next morning, this is now Sunday morning, the weekend that Jesus died on the cross, the flour was mixed with three quarters of a pint of olive oil. And then it was sprinkled with frankincense and presented to the Lord as the first fruit offering. That morning, that Sunday morning, the city of Jerusalem woke up to the smell of people all over the city baking matzah bread, unleavened bread, as they celebrated first fruits. And they were celebrating that God had been faithful to their people, to his people. He had provided by bringing life to the land again. Jesus had said, did you know, that he was going to fulfill this very festival. He said in John chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The Apostle Paul connected this feast of first fruits to Christ as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said this, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. That same Sunday morning, almost 2,000 years ago, 
as the priests made the first fruits offering, waving the sheaves before the altar of God, Jesus was raised from death to life, the first fruits, promising life to millions of those who would believe in him. You see, Jesus is our life giver. But I want to ask you a question. How does someone receive this life that he died to give? If you were to contract the coronavirus, you would be supremely interested in what can make you well. So in the far deadlier virus of sin and the death that it definitely brings you probably want to know, in fact, I urge you to know, whether you know or not, what can bring you life? Well, I invite you to see the answer to that question by opening up your Bibles, if you haven't done that yet, to chapter 5 of the Gospel of John. We're going to look at one verse. It's in verse 24. And Jesus said in John 5, 24, these words, Truly, truly, that means it is true, it is true. You can bank your soul on this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus is saying very simply that when a person hears his word and believes God, he will have eternal life. That person experiences no terrifying judgment from God. He has passed out of death and into life. I'm sure a lot of you are playing more games at home. We are as well. We've been playing Monopoly a little bit more than usual. And, and if you played Monopoly, you know that it, once in a while you've got to draw some cards from community chest, and you never know if it's going to be a good card or a bad card in Monopoly. But sometimes you will draw a card that tells you to advance to go and collect $200. Or you're going to draw a card, and it's a get-out-of-jail-free card, and you can save that for when you land in jail. Well, this is the promise that Jesus is giving. If you believe my words, hear my words, believe in the God who sent me, you're going to collect a vast inheritance. You're not going to end in jail. This is your get-out-of-God's-judgment-free card all because of Jesus but our verse in verse 24 hangs on the meaning of the word believe so church I'm going to ask you I'm going to ask everybody that's watching this if you're listening to this I'm asking you as well and I want you to really think on this question do you really do you truly understand what the word believe means John uses the word believe repeatedly in his gospel. He writes it in John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So what does that word believe mean? How does one believe? If you go to the most famous verse, probably in all of Scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Pastor Matthew, earlier in the service, read a verse from John 11 on the word believe, again in that verse. What does it mean to believe? In fact, John, who wrote this gospel, thinks it's so important for us to understand that, that he actually closed his gospel, and the word believe is there. In chapter 20, verse 31, he wrote his gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Belief in Jesus, who is equal with God the Father, is the key. But what does it mean to believe? I'm really not the first to ask that question centuries ago. And you know the story, I'm sure. Martin Luther shocked the world. He shocked the church, the Catholic church at that time. He insisted that a person is justified, that means made right with God, only by belief or by faith in Jesus. There is no other way. It's not believe in Jesus and plus your really good life It's not believe in Jesus and make sure you go to church more than two times a year. It is only by hearing the words of the scripture, believing in God, believing in Jesus equal to God, that one is made right with God. And the church violently responded, violently reacted against Luther And it forced the Protestants at the time to really dig in and understand what does it mean biblically? What does the Bible mean when it tells us to believe? And they came up with three aspects of biblical faith. This is from Martin Luther and the Protestant followers with him. They came up with three biblical aspects of faith. Here's the first. You ready? Now, I'm going to really make sure you hear all three of these because I want you to compare your own soul against these. First, to be spiritually saved, to pass from death to life, to escape the judgment of God, to be spiritually saved, a person must intellectually believe in what is actually true. You've got to believe something that is actually true. And Jesus says in verse 24, John chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes. So what is true, Jesus says, is the holy word of God. You know, there are thousands of followers not only in America, but in Europe, that believe in Jediism. Jediism is a religion that sprang from the Star Wars movies. The Temple of the Jedi Order, it was officially registered as a religion in our state of Texas in 2005. Then you've got the church of the flying spaghetti monster. I'm not making this up. This is a real church. 
You really see them most popularly in New Zealand. They also go by the name of Pastafarianism. Now, I know some of you think right now, I'm, where, what's he talking about? He's making these things up. Go to Google, go to the web, you, you will find out this is a legit religion. Well, it's at least legitimate that people think it's a true religion. Its members have already tried to apply for permission to put up a monument in the state capitol grounds of Oklahoma. So what is actually believing? Because I'm telling you that Martin Luther said it begins saving faith, saving belief. You've, you actually have to believe what is true. It isn't just intellectually believing in something. That something that you're believing in must be true. It must be effective. I think you probably have read this in the news. It's tragic. It is sad. But an Arizona couple, afraid of getting COVID-19, heard that chloroquine could be an antidote that could keep you safe. And they realized that they had some chloroquine on their shelf. They were using it to treat parasites in their aquarium fish. So what did they do? They ingested it, husband and wife. Terribly, the man died, and the wife is in critical condition. I'm not sure if she lived or not, but they died believing in something that was not only untrue, it was deadly. So in order to be spiritually saved, a person must believe in what is actually true. But Martin Luther went on. Second, to be saved, a person must believe and be convinced or persuaded by the truth. There is no saving faith that says to yourself, well, just in case there is a heaven and hell, I better at least believe there is a God, and I better say a prayer to cover all the bases. That's not saving faith. It's not saving faith to be thinking, well, I'm not sure if the Bible is true or not, but I better hedge my bets, and I better get to church at least twice a year on the really important Sundays, and I, I should get my kids to confirmation, and if they can complete the confirmation class, well, then they're going to get saved, and I'm going to give a little bit money to charity. You see, true saving belief is a mind that is persuaded that the claims of Jesus Christ are true. It's being fully convinced of what Jesus said when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now you're listening to this. Hopefully you haven't fallen asleep. I've given you two of the three criteria of what makes belief saving. And you might be listening and you can confirm and you can affirm that you've got both of those aspects of belief in your life. You believe the word of God is true. You're persuaded that Jesus died and that he rose again to save you from your sin. You might even make it to church pretty regularly. 
You might even serve at your church. You might be confident that Jesus is the only way to be saved. But I want you to really hear this. You ready? If you only have these two first aspects, or rather, if you only have those two aspects of belief, now you need to listen to this. This is hard to hear. The Bible puts you on par with a demon. I'm going to read it to you. James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, James wrote. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I'm going to tell you right now, the demons have the first two aspects of that faith. They know what is true, and they're fully persuaded. They're fully convinced that it is true, and they shudder from fear. But they're not saved. You know, as a youth pastor for 13 years, before I became the lead pastor, I often would illustrate what saving faith was, the third aspect that I'm about to teach you. And I would set up a table. And I would call up six of the teens. And I would have them three in a row facing one another. And I would instruct them to reach across and to interlock your arms with the teen across from you. So there were three couples, each with their arms interlocked. And then I would usually go first and I would stand up on top of that table and turn my back to those teens. And I would explain to them, I'm going to show you what saving faith is through a trust fall. Then I would close my eyes and I would cross my arms and I would lean back and fall off of that table into their arms. That's the third aspect of what I'm about to show you. This is what belief is biblically. To be saved You must believe by trusting and yielding your life to the care of Jesus. You've believed in the words and the claims of the word of God. You are persuaded that they are correct. And now you've given your life to Jesus. You've trusted that he will save you. He and no other. You know, in the central New York town that I grew up in, we had a lake. The lake was two miles long. It was about a half a mile wide. And in the winter, that lake would freeze over, and people would drive their trucks out on the lake, and they would have races, or they would drive out to their fishing hole where they would fish. I want you to imagine... That you're in the middle of winter. I know we don't want to think that now that the forsythias are blooming. But you're in the middle of winter. And a friend of yours has invited you to a day out on the lake with a lot of different trucks racing around the lake. Some of you already are going, I would never do that. And you're nervous, you're worried that the ice isn't going to bear the weight of the truck and the passengers. So your friend explains to you the scientific formula for determining the amount of weight that ice can bear. 
And then he walks out onto the ice and he drills out a sample hole and he measures that with a tape measure and he shows you there's enough ice, there's more than what is necessary to hold up the weight of this truck. Now you understand the data, but you're still not sure. You're still nervous. So he gets in his truck and he drives out on the ice. He goes first. You stand on the bank. And he proves to you and he demonstrates to you that the ice is safe. Now you understand the load-bearing formula of ice. And now you're persuaded as he drove on the ice that it's going to hold you up. So when he comes back to you, now you climb into the truck trusting that everything is going to be well and the fun begins. That's what it means in the Bible to believe. And in that very moment of faith and in that very moment of your belief, the words of God are true. And you're persuaded that they are true. And you yield your life to Jesus. What's going to happen is this. You're going to escape his judgment for your sins. You're going to be brought from death. And now you're going to be put into life. And you will be saved eternally. And your eternal life begins now. You see, Jesus, your life giver, is true to his word Jesus, who came out of the grave that Sunday morning as the first fruits, the first of many who are going to pass from death to life. I mean, go back 2,000 years again to that morning, that Sunday morning. How amazing that those three, those three priests, they cut down those standing sheaves of grain in the Ashes Valley. They beat it with rods. They parched it until it was dry. They crushed it. They sifted it until no stain of residue of flour remained on their hands. Then they mixed in the oil. They put in the frankincense, frankincense which was extracted from trees like sap when you put vertical cuts or horizontal cuts rather in the tree. And that resin would flow and then it would harden and then they would crush it into aromatic powder. And then they lifted the grain offering and they lifted it up before the altar in Jerusalem's temple and they waved it before him. God, we worship you. We praise you. You have brought life. All of this is going on the very moment, the very morning that Jesus comes out of that grave. See, the priests and the rulers went out at night on Thursday night to put Jesus on an illegal trial. Just like the priests went out to the barley field in the Ashes Valley and all shouted to the priests to those five questions and all 71 of the Sanhedrin shouted in agreement that Jesus was guilty. And then they beat him. And then they carried him away to Pilate, the Roman governor. And Pilate had him flogged until the whips put bloody stripes in his back and his side and his stomach. 
And then at 9 o'clock on Friday morning, they raised our Lord and Savior up on that hideous cross. And they were waving before God their offering, their guilt offering. He's the guilty one. And we are just in condemning him to death. Yet he was an offering. Jesus was an offering that had no stain, no residue of sin, no impurity. He was the perfect bread of heaven. His name is Jesus. He was dead in that grave for three days, but he was raised to life the very morning of the feast of first fruits. The timing was a promise given to all who would believe in him. You have passed from death to life. And he has made you alive in Christ. And when your life on earth is over, you will be brought to glory. Do you believe that? For every one of you listening to me right now, whether you've been in church all your life or you're new to church or you've stumbled onto this video, this sermon, this church service, I want to know, I want to ask, I want you to brace your soul. Just be honest. Do you know the truth of Jesus Christ? Are you persuaded that it is true? And have you yielded your life to Jesus, your first fruits, your life giver? And if the answer to all three of those is yes, I want to declare to you the truth of John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. That is salvation. Amen? I wonder if you would bow your head, even at home, and you would close your eyes just out of respect to be able to really focus on God. Can I ask everybody to do that? And I'm going to pray, and I want you to hear these words and maybe echo them in your own heart. Let's pray, and you agree in your heart. Heavenly Father, we recognize and we affirm that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die as our substitute. We are sinners. He is not. He is the pure flower that leaves no residue on the hand when you pull it out. He is the bread of heaven. There is no leaven of sin in him. He is not puffed up with pride. This is your son. He is the son of God. He is God. He is equal to you, and he died on that cross for us. And Father, I want to ask that you would help every single person listening to this message me included. Do we believe that message is true? Are we fully persuaded that not only is it true, 
It is a message for us. And if we believe it is true, and if we're fully persuaded, will we, have we, yielded our life to you and trusted in your sacrifice on the cross? Father, your word is true. That if we hear these words, the words that Jesus spoke, and believe in the one that sent you, we will not experience the judgment, the right wrathful judgment of God for our sins, our defiance, our rebellion. Instead of that, we have passed out of death and into life. That's resurrection truth. That's the first fruits festival. And we give you all praise and all honor and all glory because you again have brought life to your people. You are the life giver. Father, if there is anybody that heard me pray those prayers and agrees that they have not yet yielded their life to you. Father, would you move upon them? Would you teach them that there is no magic prayer? There are no mantras that you must repeat. There is simply the honest heart of a sinner crying out to you, going, I am a sinner. I have defied you. I have rebelled against you. But I believe that you sent your son to take care of that problem in my life. And he did it by dying on the cross. God, I ask you to forgive me through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And because he is the first fruit, he is the first one raised from the dead, I believe now I'm going to be next. Give me eternal life. And let me live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to pray and ask you to say one more time with me. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Well, thank you so much once again for coming back. It was an amazing sermon that we just got to hear. And we are so thankful for our God who is our life giver. Let's stand again and worship the Lord our God because he truly did pay it all.
The Lord is risen. What a blessing it has been to celebrate our Lord and Savior with you today. He is alive, and he is a life giver. He gives life not only eternally in heaven, but life to the full here on earth. What an honor and joy it is to be a part of what God is doing right here and now, even in the midst of this pandemic. We pray that you are sensing God's great love for you, and in return, loving him more deeply than ever before. We hope that even in separation, you are taking advantage of opportunities to connect with others and grow in your faith. And finally, that you are being the church, that you are serving others, not only physically, but spiritually, and being bold in sharing the truth of the gospel, the life-changing truth, and encouraging others to believe in Jesus, our life giver. Pastor Johnny, would you close us in prayer? Sí. Qué bueno es nuevamente haber podido estar aquí todos juntos. Oramos al Señor. Señor, te alabamos, te damos la gloria, la honra, la alabanza y el honor, porque tú eres Dios y esta oportunidad que tú nos has dado la hemos tomado con el propósito de regocijarnos al saber de que tú no estás en esa tumba sino que tú has resucitado y que porque tú vives cada uno de nosotros también vivimos por los siglos de los siglos por eso la gloria y la alabanza es para ti y decimos nuevamente Jesucristo vive Amen. have a great week church God bless you